In this episode of Reverse the Slavery Curse, there are many who believe that African Americans are the original descendants of the biblical Hebrew Israelites whose ancestors were given strict dietary rules in the Holy Bible about what to eat and what not to eat. For an obedient Israelite to eat seafood, the seafood in question had to have fins and scales, and for land animals to be eaten, they had to have split hoofs and chew the cud. Popular foods in today's Black culture, such as pork products like bacon and ham, or bottom-dwelling seafood such as shrimp, crawfish, oysters, and catfish would be strictly off-limits, but are commonly eaten today by the American descendants of slaves. Going back in history, it's common knowledge that masters fed their slaves a diet of scrap meat from pork, such as the stomach, which is called tripe, pig knuckles, chitterlings, also known as chitlins, which is pig intestines, these types of foods are still eaten by many in the Black community. Could it be that many Black people today have continued eating their colonizers' diet? Find out the answer to this and more in today's episode of Reverse the Slavery Curse. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Paula Holland. At the crossroads of Black history, current events, and the occult, the Reverse the Slavery Curse weekly podcast explores the modern issues facing Black people today. Stay up to date by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And please visit my website at www.reverseslaverycurse.com for more information. Thank you for joining. Today's episode is entitled Decolonizing Your Diet and focuses on the unhealthy eating habits of African Americans and how one can transition into a healthy eating lifestyle for overall well being. Our special guest is Avis Doctor, a certified health coach who is passionate about health and wellness and bridging the gap between mind, body, and spirit. She also focuses on Black empowerment and addresses a wide variety of topics, including health and nutrition pain management, domestic violence, and business development. One of Avis's specialties is helping women overcome debilitating back pain naturally and tap into their innate healing abilities so they can enjoy a fulfilling pain-free life. Welcome, Avis. Hi, Paula. Thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's great to have you. I was so excited when we spoke about you being a guest today and when you brought up the topic of decolonizing our diets. Many listeners might be wondering what a decolonized diet is. So Avis, what exactly does decolonizing one's diet actually mean? That is a great question, Paula. When we talk about decolonization, I think it's first important to talk about colonization because decolonizing is deconstructing colonization. And what is colonization? It is a process where uh, a power or another force or host has come in and they take control of a country, of the indigenous people. They impose on them their culture, their language. Therefore, people began to lose who they are, their traditions, their cultures. So it's a power that attempts to take over another country, and which they do. So when you look at deconstructing that, decolonizing is the way to take back control, to take back your power, 
and to begin to go back to your roots of what you know, your culture. Right. That's a great, that's a great explanation. The rules for biblical diet are clearly outlined in the book of Leviticus. What is your opinion on why some of these foods have been placed off limits? So if we're talking pork products, we're talking the shellfish, things that we don't eat, obviously, like, you know, crow and birds of, of prey. Um, why are some of these foods off limits to us? Well, first of all, from a purely biblical place, if we're recognizing that God is the creator of all things, he created things for a purpose. And I believe that these things have been put off limit because as the creator, the person who knows who you are, um, has the guidelines and the manual book to what works for our bodies. And so if we look at the original diet from a biblical perspective, meats were not a part of that diet. Right. It was later that meats were introduced. And so the clean and unclean, when you look at the unclean animals that the Bible, God has given us a guideline not to take um, into our mouths, is that those animals are scavengers. They feed on dead things and decaying things. And so we are what we eat. And so it is with animals also. So when you ingest that animal, you are ingesting the things that that animal has eaten also. Right. And you don't want things in your body that are dead and decaying. You That's want for sure. that are full of life. You want to eat the rainbow, what God has gave us in the first place, those plants, those fruits and vegetables. Right. Um, many of the foods that Black people eat were passed down to us in our families. Um, many of them are descending as the slaves descended from slavery, the foods that they ate are also descending. I know when I was a child, my grandmother used to come over on the weekends and every now and then she would make chitlins for us. Um, this would be pig bowels. Um, they stunk up the house like crazy, but they were delicious with hot sauce. Um, as an adult, I moved away from eating that kind of scrap, scrap meat and I developed, I guess, a, a better, a more refined palate and I would eat foods like bacon and pancetta and shrimp cocktails. Um, I know there seems to be a struggle to walk away from these foods. And when I made the decision personally to walk away from unclean meats and to stick as close to a biblical diet as I could, I really struggled and I fell you know, off the wagon along the way. What advice would you give to listeners who are trying to break away from these unclean foods, especially those that are traditional you know, in their families? So like chitlins were in my family, things that were passed down to them, how can they break away from that? Wow, that is a question that people are struggling with. People are struggling, well, how do I let go of these things? Because food is very emotional. Right. You know, um, we never had chitlins. I was raised in Louisiana. That's where I was born. And of course, we had crawfish and shrimp. And yeah, those, oh my God those things tasted good to us. And so I look at addiction as like, it's a racket that we're really running on ourselves. We see or think that there is some perceived benefit that is greater than the cost. But we really need to look and see, are we really getting a benefit? And what is the cost? Right. Is the cost your health? 
what is what is the real cost? And so we have these addictions because they are within us. They are part of our legacy. They are part of our culture. They, if if you stop doing that, maybe you feel like, hey, I'm not a part of this family anymore. I'm betraying my family for whatever reason to think that, you know, this these foods really kind of define us in a way. And they come from a place that is not good in the sense that, you know, to be, to be quite clear, slave food wasn't all that great. Slaves didn't eat well. They would have eaten like offals, which are like the entrails of animals, pig feet, chitlins, chicken feet, hog maw, hog's right. head pig's ears. They would have caught, you know, like game, like possum and raccoon and squirrels and all of these kinds of things and just to survive. So we kind of get caught up, I think, in today's world where we see things like we can just go down to the store and we can do this, but it wasn't like that. Right. We're looked at as less than human, as animals. And so some of the things that we have taken and create it and made it taste in a way that would help us to eat it is some of the things that carry on through our traditions. And of course, um, a fusion of European, French stuff, uh, Native Americans, and then our own food, we have then created this infusion now called Southern food. Right. Now, and, and we know that many black chefs served presidents, right? That's true. They love their food from Jefferson to Washington to, to Johnson, you know, and what did they like? They love that Southern food, which, you know, we know we call it soul food. We call it comfort food. It's called that for a reason, right? Right. There's a satisfying effect to it. It comforts us because right. we were in such stress. And so food has this way of making us feel good. That's true. Oftentimes though, the choices, food choices that we make have lasting effects that don't make us feel so good. Black people are known for having high rates of heart disease, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, just to name some of the effects of eating that food that makes us feel good. Based on what you're seeing in your health coaching business, are you seeing a correlation in clients with diets rich in biblically forbidden foods that are contributing to these unhealthy diagnoses? I see the correlation in a different way. Um, most of the clients that I have seen, they come to me with high stress levels. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. And those high stress levels really dictate the food that you're eating because you're looking for comfort. You're looking for something to ease your stress, to ease your pain. I was just talking to a doctor a couple of days ago who talked about the transatlantic slave trip here. Mm -hmm. And he said that they have found that many of those slaves, many of those people who are dropped off in the Americas and the West Indies, and even here in America, they have found that those people had a high sodium content in their body. And I was like, why is that? They don't really know, but they think perhaps it could be contributed to stress. Um, and so therefore we are already predispositioned to some of these diseases. 
and then eating foods that continue to escalate that disease is part of our problem also. Um, you know, the slave, the slave food is not something that is good for us, right. you know, but we may, we may do, we may do, you know, uh, Michael Twitty, who is the author of the cooking gene, mm -hmm. he said this, and I found it to be um, thought provoking. He said, some of our most delicious food came to us through strife and oppression and struggle. Are we willing to own that? And are we willing to make better moral choices based on that knowledge? Wow, that is thought provoking, uh, something to really think about. So in my practice, I do see people who adjust these foods, but they do want to do better. And a lot of it is cultural, is stress, and they just don't know what to do. And they don't know how to change, how to make those changes. So that leads to my next question. When a client comes to you, and let's say they've just come back from their doctor and they've been diagnosed as being morbidly obese, maybe they're approaching 100 pounds overweight, they have high blood pressure, they have high cholesterol, and the doctor wants to put them on statin drugs and they don't really want to be on extra drugs. And maybe they want to take an approach that's more dietary focused and they want to maybe make some changes for a few months and see if they still need those drugs. How do you approach counseling them to successfully make better nutrition decisions? That's a great question, because that's something that I deal with, with clients all the time. And the first thing is to understand why do they want to make these changes? Mm -hmm. Is it important to them? You know, what's their level of commitment to these changes? You know, when they got this news from the doctor, how did that make them feel? Um, did they feel guilty? Did they feel bad? Did they feel like, oh, I should have known better? And, and now they're looking for solutions, but are they really looking for change? So solutions are different than change. Are they looking for long-term solutions? Or are they looking for short-term solutions? Right. So I want to help people make small steps, doable steps that they can do, not biting off more than they can chew, knowing that they didn't get in this condition overnight and it takes time. So I'm there to hold their hand to help them. Like, look, what is it that you really want? What is driving you to make this change? And is, a, is it a lifestyle change that you really want? Is, it, is there some intrinsic value to it for you? Or is it just some external value that you're like, hey, I can do that for a little time, but I know that it can't last. Because it's not about restricting yourself, but it's about expanding yourself, expanding the variety of food that is available to you and exploring and discovering, taking back your taste. That's what decolonization is all about. Right. You came from Africa. You didn't have all these different things like that. You know, in America, our taste is really sweet and salty, but there are so and many other tastes. And it's addictive. And I feel like when I was trying to get off of the unclean foods, the unclean meats, I've kept falling off the wagon because I was kind of addicted to the taste. I know they put chemicals in foods, additives. I think fast food restaurants, you know, add things to burgers and chicken nuggets to make them taste better and to make you crave them and wanting to come back for more. 
um, I have to admit, sometimes I still have to, I'll, I'll still get like a little ping or, or a little craving for something. Um, how do you counsel your, your clients that are, you know, struggling with sort of addictions almost? I've never been a drug addict, but I think sometimes these foods can, you know, be on par with what, you know, somebody trying to get off of drugs might be going through, but it's just for the chemicals that he put in the foods. How do you help them move away from food addiction? Well, one of the greatest things that is addicting is sugar. Yes. And, and you mentioned something, make no mistake. The marketing is there. It's meant for you. And if you start reading labels, you will see that that sugar is there. So there's people all day long trying to figure out how to get you addicted to the foods that they're making, this processed food, right? Right. So you want to watch the dialogue in your head, though, too. Like, why am I eating this food? Why does it taste good to me? What is, what is this bringing to me, for me? Because generally, you know, the sugar is so invasive. It yes. is really poison to your body. The white sugar that has no nutritional value, right. has no nutrients, and just keeps you hungry, and you just keep eating, and you just keep eating the sugar. So my thing is to help people to really begin to look at what is causing that addiction? What is that bringing up for them? It has to be bringing some kind of feel good or some limiting belief about this is the only life I can live. This is the only food that I know. There's something there that keeps you going back to that food because it's not that we don't have knowledge or information. We have lots of information. We have lots of knowledge. It's there. The question is, why do we do things that we know are not good for us? Because the feeling it gives us, I guess. (laughs) It does. That hit a dopamine. And and whether you realize it or not, before you actually ingest the food, you've already gotten a hit. Wow. Yeah. Just in your mind. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So looking at your dialogue, why in your head, you have a dialogue going on in your head. You can think like people are like, oh, I'm so stressed. By the time I get home, I got to have a drink. I always have to have a drink because it's going to like, you know, calm me down. Where, where, where did that come from? Or, oh, I got to have some ice cream. Or maybe it's just a memory of when you did great and you did great things. And your, your parents rewarded you with ice cream. And when you are feeling stressed, like, oh, I need to feel that reward too. And you eat ice cream. Mm-hmm. So we do these things because they bring up a feeling that helps us feel better. And so, as I say, is that first comes the emotions, then the food. And you're going to reach for things that are familiar to you. Right. Comforting to you. Exactly. And so if someone is really kind of going through that addiction, that struggle with food, and maybe it's addiction is too strong of a word, but if they're, you know, they find themselves, I want to make better choices. I want to get some weight off. I want to get my cholesterol down they probably are going to need someone to at least hold their hand in the beginning. So if somebody is interested in your health coaching services, what can they expect with their, their first appointment with you? What does that look like? Well, their first appointment with me is a conversation uh, to see where are they, where they're trying to go, 
and why they're trying to go there. The conversation is to understand, you know, what are their troubles? You know, how are they feeling about whatever is going on with them? You know, are they in a in a critical stage or are they at this place where they're just concerned or are they at a place where they're like, hey, I'm not there yet, but I know if I don't change the way that I'm eating or doing things, I could end up, boom. Right. They began to look back at maybe some of their parents or relatives who may have died young or struggling with some of these um, diseases that we see in the African-American community and they don't wanna go there. So we have a conversation to understand their mindset. Mm-hmm. Are they committed to change? Why do they really want to change? And and I keep reiterating that because it's so important because it's not about me. It's about them. I'm here to hold their hand and to help them get on the other side of wherever they are. And if they're serious, is there an urgency to it? Or is it that, oh, I just thought I'd check it out and see. And that's fine too. But if I can't help you, I definitely always want to give people tips and to encourage them. And if they feel like they can do it on their own, I want to encourage them in that also. But if I can help them, I definitely would um, lead them to other people that I may know that are in my network that can help them also. So it's it's really having a, a come to Jesus moment with yourself in our conversations right. and to see for you to understand, for you to start to really uh, get a clearer picture and for me to get a picture also. So many times the things that we're feeling, they're in our head, right? Mm -hmm. And we never get it out of our head. So to hear ourselves say the things that we're really thinking and wanting helps a light bulb go on. And so I'm there in that first conversation to help them start having a light bulb go on a little bit. How can listeners interested in your health coaching or other services get in touch with you? So they can make an appointment with me. I have a calendar link. It's called bit.ly. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash spirit of health. That is a check-in calendar. Just get on my calendar and schedule a time and we can talk. And uh, the check-in is just to see, hey, how are you doing? How are how things going? And how can I assist you? That is wonderful. Thank you so much, Avis. And to my listeners, thank you all for tuning in. Please join me next week where I will continue my series on slavery mind control and its effect on Black Americans today. For more information about this podcast, topics related to the advancement of African-Americans, please visit reverseslaverycurse.com and sign up for my free newsletter. Check out my books and more. Until then, remember that dealing with foundational traumas, spiritual influences, and ancient oaths are the key to positive changes in this modern world. 